Welcome to William Blair Thinking Presents, a new podcast series that aims to provide in-depth expertise from our award-winning equity research and capital advisory teams on today's financial and economic landscape. I'm Chris Thonis, Head of Equities Marketing and Media Relations, and I'm delighted to be your host. Hi, everybody. We are welcoming a very fun group of analysts today on our new episode of William Blair Thinking Presents. This includes Jason Ader, CFA partner at William Blair. Uh, he's the co-head of the technology, media, and communication sector. We've also got Arjun Batia, co-group head of the technology, media, and communication sector, and research analyst Ralph Shackhart, CFA and partner who specializes in internet and digital media. So the three analysts just released a new report aimed at serving as a reference piece for investors looking to get a better understanding of generative AI technology and its implications for the tech sector. The report is called Generative AI, the New Frontier of Automation, and focuses on the generative AI value chain, including everything from the infrastructure that supports AI models to the downstream application that generative AI can create. So with that, Jason, I'm going to kick this over to you. Do you mind just providing listeners with a 500-foot view of what this report is all about and what inspired your team to pursue this area, this particular area of AI so deeply? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks, Chris, for having us. You know, Gen AI is all anybody's talking about right now. I've been on the road meeting with clients and like 75% of my meetings have been occupied with discussions about generative AI and sort of long-term implications, near-term implications. But we wanted to do a deep dive into the topic to really separate the hype from the reality, for better or worse. There's been a lot of super interesting new tech in my 25 years on the sell side, but I can honestly say that the last time I felt this way about a technology's broad implications on the economy and society was back in the early 90s with the dawn of the internet. And what's even more amazing is that we're just scratching the surface with this technology. In the coming months and years, we expect to see really exponential advances in the capabilities and qualities of the gen AI models that vendors are building. So really our goal with this paper was to create an initial reference piece for investors looking to gain a better understanding of the basics of Gen AI technology, why it's so groundbreaking, potential winners and losers, and and then where the monetization opportunities are across the value chain. Uh, Arjun and Ralph, anything you guys want to add to that? I think generative AI is going to impact many different aspects of our life, from personal to work. And AI is not new, right? It's always kind of been working in the background. But as ChatGPT has come out, the public has learned about generative AI. It's gone from being in the background to now being in the forefront. And that's a major kind of evolution in the AI landscape. And so we wanted to take a crack at just explaining this dynamic, explaining what the technology could do, what impact it might have on our lives, what it might mean for businesses, what it might mean for consumers, right? And and just highlight some important questions that uh, investors should think through as they're digging into generative AI. The only thing I'd add, Chris, is that I think the way we approach this is maybe a little bit different, you know, from the infrastructure side, the SaaS side to the consumer internet side. So it's a little bit different perspectives, we think, uh, what we publish perhaps with respect to maybe some of the other publications out there. Great. So this is a pretty dense report. I wanted to just jump into some of the specific areas. First and foremost, you talk about how generative AI represents the next big technology platform shift. So this is something you guys just touched on a little bit, but this is after the internet, this is after mobile, and then the cloud with the potential to be as transformative as electricity or the steam engine. But can you just dive into that a little bit deeper? 
Sure, I'll, I'll take that one, Chris. So, you know, when the, the light bulb was invented and the first steam uh, engine was shown to people, I doubt anybody had any idea the downstream implications as you, you know, thought through those tech advancements. And I think that's exactly where we are right now with Gen AI. And what's really new and different about Gen AI versus historic AI is that it synthesizes data and it generates content, which is something, candidly, the prior tech cycles didn't do. So when you think through the implications of just this profound nature of content generation, it's really, really hard to know what that looks like. And also, I think what separates this technology from others is that the learnings compound and it's recursive in nature, which could lead to you know exponentially more powerful use cases. You're hearing about the explosive nature of Gen AI, but you know, thinking five, ten years in the future, I think would be very difficult to see what that looks like at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I would also add just the last three decades. I feel like have led up to this moment in history, which is. You know, you have this, this network of networks. You have this incredible hardware performance and power today with the parallelization of, uh, of computing, which allows you to create these models. You have the, the software algorithms, you know, which have matured and have been developed over these last three decades and maybe more. I mean, really, probably since the 50s, where AI, you know, really, really originated. And you have this massive amount of data that's been created partly because we have all these these mobile devices in our pockets. So combine the the network with the hardware, with the software, with the data, and you get Gen AI. So there's really no other technology that has evolved this quickly. Or would you say this is in line with maybe something else that could be somewhat relevant? As Jason pointed out, it's really a combination or collection of multiple technologies coming together at the same time. And I think what's really different about this is just the compounding nature of it. So literally every night you go to bed, it's processing trillions and trillions and trillions of prompts. And all this coming together in unison has really sort of enabled uh, you know this, this moment. Yeah, like the new chips that just came out, I think are something like 500 times more powerful than the prior ones. So this is going to be exponential. And um, like Ralph said, that you know, the, the machines don't rest. Right. What, one thing that's worth pointing out, Chris, is I think the three of us would all agree we've never written a report that was so dynamic and changed so much, you know, in draft mode to sort of final uh, print. In fact, right the evening before, we were literally having to edit more content because uh, it was changing so rapidly, just to give some perspective of how quickly things are moving. I never even thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. We'll touch on more use case stuff a little later here, because I do want to jump into that a little bit deeper. But first, before we do that, you call out data as being vital to generative AI. You quote, say, generative AI models are only as good as the data on which they are trained. So companies with unique and proprietary data sets will have a competitive advantage. So can you provide some examples of what these unique proprietary data sets might look like? Yeah, so if we take a step back and just think about what the technology is doing, it's basically making a very educated guess on what the next word in a sentence should be based on a prompt that a user gives it, right? Um, and I'm simplifying a little bit because what's happening is really it's trillions of calculations that are happening to generate that output but it's just guessing the next word in the sentence. And it's an educated guess. So it needs to be trained on something to be informed, essentially. And that 
what it's being trained on is data, right? And so the more data it has, the higher quality the data is. That means it can make better guesses and result in a more positive user experience. In consumer use cases, right, this is pretty straightforward, right? The, the data aspect of it is pretty straightforward. You scrape the data on the open internet, and you as a user can ask a general knowledge question to generative AI, and I'll give you an answer. Where the data aspect starts getting more interesting is in enterprise use cases, because that data is not readily available on the open internet, right? Businesses have a lot of data that is in a closed database, it's behind a firewall, it's not open to be scraped, right? So let's take, you know, every business has customer data, let's take customer data as, as an example. So if you can now fine tune a foundational generative AI model on customer data for your specific company, then the generative AI can start to write an email for you in the language that, and in the tone and the style that you use inside your company. It can generate that response based on the interaction history you have with that customer. And that is something that only works if you have those past, if you have that past interaction history with that customer, right? And so customer data is just one example, but, you know, employee data, it's the same thing for HR use cases, right? Code, right? Software code is, it's the same concept for generating the next line of code in a program, right? So the data is the engine that's driving this Gen AI train. So I remember back, I want to say, what, six, 10 years ago, big data was all the rage. So I imagine these companies now have almost taken a step forward and are now leading the pack, right, as these big data type of companies. Would that be, would that be accurate? Yeah, it's so, so. You know, over the last 10, 15 years, there's a lot of companies that have just built a moat around having a data asset. They've become systems of record and a lot of enterprise data is stored in those systems of record. And now they're putting that data to a different use, right? It was being used in more kind of traditional AI use cases initially, right? It was being used for analytics and whatnot. And now it's being used to power large language models. And so those companies, right? So our our thesis here is that the companies that have built this data advantage over the last 10, 15 years, the incumbents actually have a great opportunity to benefit from this Gen AI wave that's coming. Ralph, I, we can jump back to use cases because I think that is such a, a dense subject area. As far as these enterprise use cases, I, I know in the report you call it a productivity accelerant, which Arjun, you, just you touched on a little bit right there, especially for knowledge workers in the economy. As, as far as being in such an early stage of the development of these use cases, how do you see this evolving over the next few years? I mean, obviously, writing emails, and there's a number of things you know this, this can do, but I mean, we're talking in the last, what, how many months has it been since this has really gone to market? In the next few years, three, five years, where's this going to land? I mean, what are we, what are we talking here? Sure. It's going to quickly evolve from, let's just start with a simple search today that gives you a point solution, so to speak, to you'll be stacking multiple prompts. So as Arjun alluded to, you know, find me a customer segment that looks like this, draft an email, send it out. And then when somebody replies, yes, book it in my Outlook calendar and then, you know, do the call. And then what's interesting about that simple scenario is 
the Gen AI will learn how to be better about writing those emails, like why did one person reply and not somebody else? So that's sort of the learning nature of it. So that's a very simple uh, use case. But just on the efficiency side, the product managers we talked to today say it's about it's making an engineer about 30% more efficient today. But the concept of a super engineer being able to produce 5x or 10x content uh, likely doesn't really sort of come into view, maybe for another year or two, just depending on how you speak to, but that gives you a sort of a, a sense of scale. Also, if you think about the productivity boost that we might get from AI, perhaps that counteracts some of the demographic shifts of slowing population growth, certainly going to take some time for this to mature. But overall, we think the efficiency gains from Gen AI should absolutely drive incremental cost savings for most enterprises and provide you know pretty strong tailwind to profit margins. And you say in the report, later in the report, maybe it's earlier in the report, you state that generative AI will be a giant new workload for the cloud, likely reaccelerating uh, re growth for cloud service providers. So I know this is probably music to the ears of these CSPs, but do you mind jumping a bit into that? I think what we were referring to there was there's been a slowdown over the last 12 months or so in cloud spending as organizations coming out of the pandemic and they're looking at their costs. I mean, obviously, macro is a big factor here, but I think there was a lot of waste, a lot of inefficiency in how companies were using the cloud. And, and so you had this theme of optimization, rationalization right now. And I think a lot of people have been wondering, well, you know, is this like that the peak growth rates for cloud, or or could we see some type of you know reacceleration at some point? And I think with with uh, Gen AI coming onto the scene, I think it really does provide a, a significant tailwind. Whether it drives you know significant reacceleration or not, it's hard to say. But I would suspect that um, you know all of the big cloud providers are going to benefit from from this movement, uh, this phenomenon. And again, we're just we're at the very beginning. These are very compute intense models, right? They require a lot of processing power and every individual model has billions of parameters. They're doing trillions of calculations, right? To generate that output. So we will see the compute power that's required by enterprises to run large language models accelerate pretty significantly into the near future. We're still early in this wave, right? But um, we are seeing signs that it's coming and that more and more of this is going to be required as adoption of Gen AI increases. I'd love to talk about the potentially profound impacts of these use cases to knowledge workers and corporate costs. Uh, we've touched on it a little bit. Arjun, I'd love for you to jump in a little bit more if you don't mind. Yeah, so in, in a way, I think it's, uh, you know, the sky is the limit. Generative AI, large language models, it's kind of a blank slate, right? Um, they're building blocks in in the tech stack. And so that means what you can do, you can build use cases on top of it, right? And we're right now just seeing the initial use cases that are being developed, right? With a search replacement tool like ChatGPT, right? But eventually you're going to see it proliferate across every knowledge worker, right? Uh, your, your jobs are going to be impacted by this. I'm not saying everyone's going to lose their jobs, right? That's not going to happen. But uh, it's going to be a productivity accelerant in every role that you do. So it can help you write emails, right? It can have, help you actually summarize your emails as well. It can help you create content to post on social media, right? So, and, and over time, right, we can even get into the personal use case where 
you know, you can have uh, somewhat of a, of a personal assistant that's being run by generative AI, but also customer service, right? So, so I would just say that generative AI is kind of this foundational technology, right? So you can build on top of it. And it's very similar to the way cloud was a foundational technology. Uh, mobile was a foundational technology. And, you know, in the early days of mobile, who would have predicted that it's as impactful as it is today or same thing with cloud. But uh, once you open that up to people to develop on top of, that's when imagination takes over and uh, that's the limiting factor. And I would also say that we're sitting here and, and thinking through, you know, the implications on knowledge workers, but there's obviously a lot of folks that, you know, have pretty doomsday scenarios in terms of what it means for, you know, white collar jobs over the next five to 10 years. So I don't think any of us, Arjun, Ralph, or myself, really are in a position to really forecast and predict exactly what's going to happen because this stuff is moving really fast. But when you have foundational changes and platform shifts like the Industrial Revolution and, and things like that, a, a lot of jobs do go away, but a lot of new jobs are created. Mm -hmm. So I think in aggregate, we're not overly concerned about this, but I, I think it's also important caveat to say that we just we just really don't know at this point. It's, it's too soon to tell. It's actually a perfect segue. I, I know you touch on risk a little bit. We, we could always harp on existential risk, which media loves to do. And, and you know, I think a lot of people love to do. But the reality is there's more moderate risks associated with this. If you don't mind just walking through some of what you laid out in the report in that regard, that could be of, of interest to some of the listeners. I think one is the, the risk of sensitive data leakage as employees uh, you know, can input proprietary corporate data into these large language models, and the models can retain that data. And so that is a no-no. And, and so you actually have seen a bunch of companies ban the GPT-type models because of that. You know, and, and you know, there's even like private GPT models that are that are coming onto the scene to kind of you know, sort of think about it as a as an enterprise only for that specific enterprise versus something that's more in the public domain. Um, other risks, and I think this may be the biggest one near term that I you know I think could sort of potentially stunt some of the development here, which is kind of the legality of some of these AI models when they're training on copyrighted content scraped from the internet. Uh, that could be you know text from newspapers, proprietary images. Uh, software code, you know, that has some copyright conditions. Uh, we've already seen a bunch of lawsuits here. And, you know, I think the courts are going to need to decide this in the coming months. And then finally, just the, the risk of misinformation and disinformation, you know, I think is incredibly worrisome, just given the, you know, the, the kind of political climate that we live in right now. Uh, it's going to be increasingly difficult to know what is true when you go online. Sure. Yeah, I think we saw that already with, uh, wasn't uh, there was a photo that was posted to social media of, of, of an explosion at the Pentagon, which for a moment tanked the uh, the stock market until it was, you know, discovered it was not real. So that's that's the kind of stuff that I think scares a lot of people. But Ralph, so did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I guess my broader concern would be just the pace of innovation as we sit here today, has largely been developed by humans. And as you move forward, do we lose the human guardrails or sort of judgment? So, you know, one scenario is if a nefarious actor or a non-nefarious actor was to put some of these foundational models together, and then they were continue to just scale and compound without perhaps, you know, human involvement or, or interference 
that I think is concerning. You know, hopefully there's some guardrails put into these models to perhaps alleviate some of that risk. But I just think it's still important to have you know, humans sort of advancing the pace of innovation, at least in the background. So I'll say the uh, the Pentagon example is is really interesting, right? Because I think one of the things from a risk perspective that we you know we need to think about the other side of it as well, which is what are the risk mitigants, and I think. What you'll see emerge or what is likely to emerge over time is some sort of an industry or technology or tool that can actually start to decipher what content is generated by AI versus what content is generated by humans. So I think when we're thinking of risk, we should think about the other side of the spectrum as well. And I think that will become a very important use case, especially on social media, because you know, that can be such a breeding ground for fake content that uh, that would be a concern, right? Uh, that would have social implications, political implications, you know, you, you name it. And so I, I just don't, I don't think the industry is going to necessarily just stand still and let these risks run wild. I think there will be guardrails put in place. And I think there will be a, another industry that develops that handles that. Got it. All right. So before we end this, I would love for each one of you to give one thing that you are most excited about with generative AI. So with that, I'll start with Ralph. List one particular thing you are extraordinarily excited about that is generative AI driven. I think on on the content side, you know, today, why do we have one size fits all for piece of content? Why isn't there something specific to Chris, Arjun, or Jason? You know, that's more sort of on the, the consumer side. On the enterprise side, I just think the efficiencies that we can't even comprehend today, you know, our company is going to be a lot smaller and a lot more profitable. Uh, do you need less employees? And then the knowledge workers are sort of advancing. So to me, that gets me really excited. I would be lying to you if I do exactly what that looks like in a few years. But, I, I, you know, that sort of scenario is, I think, pretty interesting, particularly for what we do as being analysts. Jason, over to you. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to build on Ralph's comment, which is, you know, just the uh the power now to create a lot more software than we could before in a lot faster time. So, um, you know, I think the the kind of velocity of kind of invention and innovativeness from software developers, I think really goes way up here because they're just not spending their time. You're not spending like, you know, 70% of their time, like dealing with documentation and all this uh, mundane stuff. And they're dealing with actually creating ideas. Yeah, I, I agree with, uh, what uh, Jason and, and, and Ralph said, uh, you know, those are certainly exciting areas. I'm going to take it a different direction. Uh, one of the things I'm more excited about just from a personal aspect is personal assistants that are generative AI based. You know, we, we've had these kind of voice based assistants for a while now, like a Siri or an Alexa or something like that, but they haven't really worked on a consumer level. So I'm ready to see those kind of personal assistants take the next step. And if they're generative AI powered or powered by large language models, I think the quality will really, uh, will really improve. And, uh, and it'll be interesting. It'll be something like an, you know, like an Iron Man, uh, like a Jarvis type system, which would be, which would be pretty cool. All right. So with that, Jason, Arjun, Ralph, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join. Awesome. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. For more, head to williamblair.com slash thinking, uh, where you can browse our library of white papers, market updates, webinars, and all these other resources designed to provide actionable intelligence for emerging opportunities. 
If you like what you heard, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Copyright 2023, William Blair and Company, LLC. William Blair and Ardox are registered trademarks of William Blair and Company, LLC. As used on this podcast, William Blair refers to William Blair and Company, LLC, William Blair Investment Management, LLC, and affiliates. For more information about William Blair, go to www.williamblair.com. This content is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended as investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investment advice and recommendations can be provided only after careful consideration of an investor's objectives, guidelines, and restrictions. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are subject to change over time as market and other factors evolve.